we are in the Gospel of John. We've been uh, uh, doing well. We, uh, we're on, somebody said, wow, we're on nine already. Well, when you think there's 40-something, you know, we got a, we got a long way to go. So we're doing really well. Hope you're studying that. Uh, just remind you about these Gospels. Uh, hope that you have them. As a matter of fact, if you have the Gospel today, it might help you uh, as we're, we're kind of following along in this, uh, this passage. So we are uh, asking the Holy Spirit uh, to teach us always. That's our prayer, but uh, I have a lot to say, so you got to listen really fast today because uh, I'm going to be moving along, but I'd like us to ask the Holy Spirit to not only touch us personally, but maybe even as a church today. Uh, you know, we don't just gather because it's our habit. Uh, we gather because we believe God is present here and that our church and you and your family could be better after this service today if we allow the Holy Spirit uh, to help us. So would you, let's pray just for a moment for that. Lord, we, um, we thank you for the word of God and we thank you for John chapter four today. And we pray that you would speak so clearly to us and that when you speak, Lord, that we would be obedient, that we would not only learn things today, but that we would learn how to apply what you're teaching us uh, more effectively. And we pray that because of what happens here today, more of our family and friends would come to know Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, this is uh, John 4, uh, 1 through 42, uh, titled this, um, Water uh, for the Thirsty. So this is the story of uh, Jesus and the woman at the well. So I decided I would bring a well today. Uh, can I give you a little visual of that? Um, in John 4... The message of Jesus spreads beyond Israel out into an area called Samaria. Uh, in chapter 3, we listened as Jesus talked with Nicodemus and showed this really highly respected teacher and religious leader his need for Jesus. And now Jesus encounters a sinful, broken Samaritan woman, and it's an amazing conversation that he has with her, really a life-changing invitation that he offers to her and to us. And these, these two different people, Nicodemus and now the, the woman at the well, come from two different cultures, one common need. They both needed Jesus. Everyone, everywhere needs Jesus. Everyone, everywhere needs Jesus. Amen? Of all the conversations that Jesus had, of all the different contacts that we see him had, of all the ways that he changed people's lives, maybe the most amazing, incredible conversation happens at this well in John chapter 4. There are some incredible things that we can learn and apply as Jesus talks to this woman at the well. Uh, now, notice several things that are happening in this scripture. One is we want to be aware of, the, of Jesus' witness to this woman, how, how he spoke to her, what he had to say to her. We also want to be aware of this woman's needs and how Jesus compassionately and lovingly cares uh, for her. And you also want to be aware that there are some other people in this story, the disciples, and we can kind of see what we can, what we can learn from them. So in John 4, we find out what leads to this conversation. Uh, so there's a little bit of uh, things at the beginning in these first four verses. Uh, verse 1 says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples, so no one could say, I'm better than you are. I was baptized by Jesus himself. So he's, he's trying to deal with the, kind of the competition, the popularity that's going on. So we have the setting of this story and this amazing invitation that is offered. Um, so what is taking place is that Jesus' popularity is rising when we get when we come to chapter 4. Um, we can see that uh, he, he's involved, uh, the disciples are uh, baptizing as well as John and his disciples are baptizing. And so now the Pharisees are noticing that Jesus is gaining in popularity. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus wasn't doing all the baptizing himself. The disciples were doing it, but people were beginning to compare who's this, whose baptism is the best. So it reminds us, it says that the Lord decided that it was time to leave. You know, so much about what Jesus does is about timing. 
You know, he, he responds to things at the right time. He, he says, this is not my hour. This is not my time. He knew what the timing was supposed to be like because the disciples and Jesus are becoming popular. Um, the Pharisees are recognizing this popularity and that John, uh, all this attention is going toward uh, Christ. So it brings us to this place where he says in verse 4, now Jesus had to go to Samaria. Uh, he needed to go to Samaria. Uh, he, you got to know some things about that little phrase. It kind of gives you the context. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along very well. It's like the Hatfields and the McCoys. You know, they, they did not like each other uh, very much. Uh, and you can see that throughout the Bible. So here you have the Jews and the Samaritans in this incredible racial and cultural and religious uh, hatred of one another. Uh, I'll show it to you like uh, in two ways. First of all, we'll look at a map. Uh, you see this map that shows you, I think I have this little, there we go. Uh, give me all this technology today. So, uh, if you look down here, you can see in sub, this is Israel uh, in the time of the first century. And uh, the, the scripture mentions that Jesus was going to leave and go from Judea to Galilee. So you can see Judea in the south, Galilee in the north. Uh, down in Judea here, you can see here's Bethlehem. There's Jerusalem. There's Emmaus. Uh, you can see the, all of the, those places there. This is Samaria here in the mid middle, and they're going to tell us where this well is. This well was at a place called Sychar. See it right there? And so Samaria and Sychar are close together. And then Galilee was where Nazareth was. And so Jesus is headed back up to Nazareth. Now, the problem was people did, like, did not like being involved with the Samaritans. So people in the south typically would go from Jerusalem right in here over to Jericho into this little area called Perea, which is across the Jordan River. And then they would go up this direction. It would make the trip from Judea to Galilee instead of about two and a half days, it was about four and a half days. So it would make it longer where they would go around. But the reason they didn't do that was they didn't want to be hanging out with the Samaritans. So verse four said, Jesus had to go to Samaria. So he doesn't go around. He just goes straight through. Now, the problem was that these Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along very well because, um, back when the, um, the, People of Israel were in captivity. They were taken, uh, in con taken control of by the Assyrians. And when the Assyrians came and took people back into captivity, they only took what they felt like were the best. Like they took people that had, had some resources, had some skills, and they took them back. And if you were unskilled or kind of poverty or even younger, they would leave, they left them. And then the Assyrians came in and the Babylonians and all that. And there was an intermarriage of those people. And the Jews did not like that. So when they were rebuilding the temple before Jesus returned, uh, before Jesus first came, they, uh, they, didn't, they didn't like that. They didn't let Samaritans worship there. Uh, so the Samaritans built their own uh, temple at Mount Gerizim. And what happened was the Jews just didn't like them at all. They thought they were intermarrying. They don't worship right. So we don't, we don't like those people. So it was kind of a racial thing uh, against them. Uh, and because of that history between the Jews and the Samaritans, deep religious hatred, uh, racial hatred uh, towards one another. So that's the context um, that we have there. So this well, as at a place called Sychar, uh, Jesus is worn out from his trip and it is is about noon, uh, the scripture says. So we are going to uh, read uh, the, this scripture uh, together. Kim's going to help me. And uh, so I want you to, uh, to even just visualize and think about what is happening uh, in this scripture. We're starting with, with verse 5. It says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is very, very deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, who drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give to them will never thirst. Indeed, water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Uh, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. Um, I have no husband. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite right. Sir, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me when I tell you that the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. We, we are no longer believe just, just because, because of what you said. said. Now, now we have heard for ourselves, and we, we know that this man really is Savior of the, the world. world. God bless his word to us uh, today. Thank you, Kim. So he said, I had to go through Samaria. He needed to go. He comes because he has, um, not because he's in a hurry or he needs to get there quicker, but he is going to have this divine appointment with this woman that God has given him uh, this, this moment where he's going to reach out to her. You know, Jesus Christ has been walking all day and he sits down behind, beside this well and he sort of paints a picture for us. And it's this picture of Jacob's well. Uh, Jacob's well is still there in Israel. It doesn't sit out in the open uh, like you would think a well would. They built a church around it. <laughs> so they built this church and there, uh, it's still there. There was, there was another well uh, in Sychar that was further away, kind of in the town where the people would go. So this was outside of town uh, where this woman would go. The well was probably uh, anywhere between 60 to 100 feet deep, uh, depending on what the kind of the water table was at the time. And so Jesus is tired, and he comes, and he sits down uh, beside this and talks to this Samaritan woman. You know, Jesus understands uh, every one of our personalities, he understands who we are. He understands our needs, our weaknesses, our wants. He understands what we're like. And in this passage, Christ appeals to this woman, to her personality, helping her to understand that he is real, that he is really the Messiah sent from God, and that he has life for her and for us through this, this living water. Uh, notice, uh, notice what he does. Uh, you, you have this conversation at the well, and it's a conversation between a weary Jesus and a thirsty woman. 
Um, and the contrast is between what we saw in chapter 3 and what is happening in chapter 4. Uh, it's, it's really incredible. Um, I mean, if you're hot and tired and you're weary and you're just kind of tired from your day, are you going to be wanting to spend some extra time sharing and witnessing with somebody that comes along in your life? Probably not, right? You're going to be thinking about your own needs. But Jesus is not thinking about his needs. He's thinking about uh, this woman. Now, notice the difference. Um, in chapter 3, Jesus is witnessing to a man. But here in chapter 4, he is witnessing to this woman beside the well. It shows that Jesus Christ is reaching out to every person. Everyone, everywhere needs Jesus. I keep saying that. I think you're going you're to get that one right. Um, he is talking not only to, uh, to a woman, he's not talking to a Jew like Nicodemus was. He's talking uh, to a Samaritan, so there's definitely a difference there. He's not talking to someone with high moral standing like Nicodemus. Now he's talking to a woman uh, of low repute. Um, he's not talking to uh, this woman out of uh, because she's well-known. She's probably unknown. We don't even know her name. We knew Nicodemus' name. Uh, he was a great leader. He was... Um, a religious teacher, but here's this woman, and we recognize that she uh, was just a very common person. What's the point? The point is everyone everywhere needs Jesus. Whatever your situation, whatever your life circumstances, every one of us needs Jesus. Now, um, Jesus had every reason not to talk to this woman. Uh, just like with Nicodemus, you know, he starts this conversation, but what he does with Nicodemus and what he does with this woman is he penetrates through what they kind of brought, and it goes right to the core, to the needs that they have. You know, all of us need Christ. The moral value of our life is not what saves us. Keeping certain rules and doing certain things, that is not going to, no matter how moral or righteous you are, the only way to be saved is by salvation through Jesus Christ. Or if you're an immoral person, like this woman is described, you can never be, listen to me, you can never be too immoral to find salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation is for every person uh, everywhere. The Israelites need Jesus. The Gentiles needed Jesus. Everyone needed Jesus. The gospel message is universal, and no matter what kind of person you are, what kind of language you speak, what kind of background you have, no matter where you live or where you're from, it recognizes that every one of us needs Jesus. Uh, the reality is that that should impact our missionary mindset, right? It should impact. Now, when I say missionary, you probably thought, okay, well, he's talking about missionaries over. No, I'm talking about those people across the street from you, those people that we work with. We are motivated because all, you know, it's, it's easy to say, amen, you know, everybody needs Jesus. But when you go out there, every school kid needs Jesus. Every person we work with, all those people in your family, we all, uh, we all need Christ. So Jesus is trying to help us to understand this kingdom impact that he desires us to have. Um, you know, your neighbors are probably not going to get saved because you're sitting in here. We're going to have to speak to them. We're going to have to meet them, if you will, at the well, at the place uh, where they show up. So uh, the first thing you notice, um, uh, Jesus begins to interact. And how does he interact with this woman? He asks for a drink. He asks for uh, a drink. I think that's very interesting. Um, he says to her, uh, would you give me a drink? And it amazes her. Uh, but you notice what he's doing. He's, he's penetrating into, into her heart. You know, he could have said, I'll get you a drink. Maybe you think that would be gentlemanly, but he didn't have anything to get a drink with. She's noticing that you don't have any way. So he's, he's helping to break down this conversation, not can I get you a drink, but would you get me uh, a drink? She has uh, come there to gather some water. And so um, the first thing that Jesus does in verses 7 to 9 there, is Jesus appeals to her heart. You know, he's trying to off, let her offer some compassion uh, toward her. Uh, she says, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan, and how can you ask me uh, for a drink? So he appeals to her heart. He's trying to see if she will have, be, have compassion toward him. Uh, you know, he doesn't say, you know, you're a pretty awful woman, you know. He doesn't start naming things that she has done or, you know, he's, uh, he's trying to be kind. 
He's trying to build a relationship uh, with this person. You know, that's a good example of how we, how we reach out and care to the people around us as well. So he continues this conversation with us. Um, he appeals to her heart. Uh, the next thing he does is he's trying to get her attention, and so he's getting her talking, and I call this that Jesus appeals to her mind. And what that means is that he begins to give her some new ideas. Uh, they don't think about things quite the same way. He's got a, um, a different perspective than the Samaritans had about worship and about God. So he gives her some new ideas. Verse 10, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. So here's Jesus meeting her by the well, and he says, I'm going to give you living water. So he's talking to a thirsty woman about living water. Um, I mean, that's such an encouragement to us. You know, he's reminding us that we move from the, um, at a real well, talking to a thirsty woman, offering her uh, going from the known to the unknown. He's talking to her about something that he can offer that is way different than the water uh, that's in this well that she came uh, to get, that, he, that she came to receive. Um, you know, a lot of people in the world around us are thinking they are looking for certain things that will satisfy them, but the truth is they need what Jesus offers. We need what Jesus offers. Jesus says, I can give you uh, living water. Did you notice this woman's full of questions? Yeah, she's got all these questions. I think questions are good. You know, sometimes when you're talking to somebody about Christ, don't be put off because they have questions, because we want to have that conversation, right? You know, if you try to straighten everybody out right away, but be bold, be encouraged that you can, you can take those questions. You say, well, I don't know all the answers. Well, me neither, right? Well, none of us know all the answers, but we're not motivated to speak to those around us because we have all the answers. Yes, we try to, we study the word. We want to know the scriptures, but we don't, we're motivated because of what Christ has done in us, the power of the spirit of God that has brought transformation to us. So she's beginning to ask some questions. So notice she, she says, uh, are, are you greater than our father, Jacob? I think that's an interesting question. Um, here's the Samaritan that is saying, our father Jacob, our well. You know, that could have, that some guy, some, some, Jewish Christ, some Jewish believer would have been really upset about that. Hey, he's not, he's not your father. He's our father. This is not your well. This is our well. Um, you know how easy it is when you're talking to somebody that if you don't, if you don't watch it, you can get in an argument really quick, Right? Are you all awake in here right now? So, <laughs> it's so easy, isn't it, to, um, you know, that they can say something. Maybe they say something negative about something that you believe or about the church or about Christ or about how they think about God. Um, you know, you can see that Jesus is not impacted like that. Jacob was the father of the Israelites, they would say, not the Samaritans, but he refused to be drawn into that argument, and he realized that the most important thing was his love and the ability to talk to this, to this woman. And so he's appealing uh, to her heart and to her mind. And then he says, um, if you knew who I was, and you would be asking me uh, for living water. So he's saying, You're, you hesitated when I asked for a drink from you, but I am willing to offer you all the needs that you have, all those needs that you have. I'm willing to provide for those that you see. She was hesitant. Do you really want to drink out of my cup? You know, that's going to make you unclean. I'm a Samaritan. But Jesus is not hesitant to offer her the very needs of her heart uh, to minister to her. So you look at this picture, and he talks about living water. Uh, living water, he, uh, she hesitates, but he doesn't. He wants to quench her thirst. So Jesus appeals next to her desires. Uh, did you hear that when Kim read that? She said, uh, give me this water. Like, I'm tired of coming to this well. Uh, uh, you know, it's the middle of the day. You know, why is she out there in the middle of the day? Why is she out at the well way away from where the, the townspeople would be? It's probably because she was an outcast, right? She was put down. She was very low on society there. But she realizes Jesus is offering her something, and she says, yeah, I want that. And Jesus uh, appeals to those desires, but he says to her, um, everyone who drinks this water uh, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them, notice it says, never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give will be like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He is uh, connecting with, uh, with her desires. He says, um, I want you to know that you will never thirst again. Um, you know, it's, it's so easy to long for various things in our life. We long for this, material things, relationships that we could have, but none of those things ultimately satisfy. Amen? All the things around us. He is talking about never thirst. It's like it flows constantly. Um, I'm so glad that when I got saved, wasn't the last time that Jesus invested in my life. You know, that's when I was nine years old. Well, I'm 57. I know I don't look that 57, but I'm... (laughs) I'm 57. I'm a good 57. But I am so glad that yesterday the Spirit of God was working in my heart, speaking to me. This morning, as I was thinking about this service, I I was sitting there and I thought, man, I have chills because I know that Jesus is present here today and what what he can accomplish uh, in us. So it is constant. This water that he's talking about flows constantly throughout your life, every day, always with us, fulfilling the inner internal needs of our life. He, t- he calls it a spring of water. What that means is it, fr- it flows freshly. <laughs> I love that. It's fresh. It's not, it's not stagnant. Uh, it's, it's a spring of water. It's not a stagnant pond. It's constantly flowing. It's new and it's fresh. He says, never thirst, spring of water, welling up. Welling up is that, you know, welling up is, um, somebody said the other day something was being said and somebody uh, got a bunch of tears in their eyes and her husband said, look at that, she's welling up. Uh, and I thought that, that's, a, he's talking about what's going on from the inside that is uh, internally. So the spirit of God is not just water on the outside that we would drink from a well. It's the internal work of his spirit in us meeting our needs. So this water is, uh, constant and it's fresh and it's internal and then ultimately leads to eternal life. It flows eternally. I mean, what, what a great promise for us. It's John 4, 14. In this message today, we have two different memory verses. So we're going to say together uh, John 4, 14. We'll say the reference, the verse, say the reference again together. So uh, get your throat clear so you can say it, say it strong in your heart. Ready? John 4, 14. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 4, 14. See, that's a verse you can make really personal to yourself. Not just referring to them, but referring to me. This water uh, that, that I can have. So this, um, this water is... Um, what Jesus has offered to her, and now Jesus has appealed to her heart, appealed to her desires, uh, appealed to her mind, and now Jesus is appealing to her guilt, to her shame. Notice, notice what happens here. Uh, the, the, the struggle is, uh, Jesus says, go and, and bring uh, your husband. Um, he is recognizing that this woman has some, some guilt and some shame in her life. Uh, she says, I have no husband. One of the things I did about this was I noticed that this woman was pretty talkative, pretty, uh, pretty, a lot of questions. Uh, I noticed that in verse 9, she responded to Jesus with 11 words. And in verse 15, she responded with 13 words. And verse 11 and 12, 42 words. She had a lot to say. But when Jesus pointed out the need, the shame in her life, three words, I, well, I guess four, right? Four words. I have no husband. No husband. So she, uh, nothing quiets us down quicker than dealing with our guilt, dealing with our sin, our shame. You know, we, we want to hide all that. We want to, but... But Jesus is working in this woman's life. Guilt has the power to silence us. us. When we come against things that have been hurtful, we are are quick to kind of shut that down. But I just want to tell you today, what Jesus demonstrates here is that he understands. Because honestly, he already knows. It doesn't do any good to hide from him. 
He already knows all the things that have hurt you, all the things that have happened. He knew that in this woman's life. He appeals to her guilt, her shame. You're right, Jesus says, you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you said is quite true. One of the things I think that's amazing is look at how Jesus reveals this woman's entire life in one sentence. You know, if you were trying to explain it, you would say, well, this is what happened. And you, uh, or this is what, this was that decision. Or this is how I was treated. You know, and we would try to go on one sentence. Jesus clarified. Do you know that Jesus can straighten, uh, you know, can clarify what has happened in your life even in one sentence? He just comes straight to the point. Jesus understands. He knows what is happening here. Um, he's... Uh, looking at her life and seeing the struggles that she had. Um, here's the problem. She, you know, he just opens up her whole life, past and present, um, and he does that for us. He knows us. You know, we try to smooth it over. We try to, try to look good and you know, dress as nice as we can, but he is working on the internal issues of our life. So there she is standing there. What's, what's she going to do? Jesus has opened up her heart, given her some new ideas about how to think about things. He's pointed out the greatest sin in her life. It's not a secret anymore. Uh, what's she going to do? How she's going to respond? Uh, look carefully at how this woman responds because it teaches us about how people respond to us when we're trying to talk to them about Christ or how we respond to our own need. So the first response was, look at what she did. She said, let's talk about religion. Let's talk about religion. What does she want to talk about? She wanted to talk about the differences between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Samaritans. She wanted to talk about the difference in their beliefs. You know, doesn't that happen to us sometimes? Notice what she says. says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. You Jews claim that the place you must worship is in Jerusalem. She went straight to the big argument. I mean, she went straight to, uh, to religion. You know, that's what we do when we're confronted with our sin. Uh, we, we like to talk about religion uh, rather than dealing with those things. It happened in the Garden of Eden. You remember the, the scene there, Adam and Eve, you know, uh, it happened back in the Garden. Adam and Eve feel guilty, uh, feel shamed. Adam, what have you done? The woman made me do it. What was that? Because, you know, just find the closest target and let's just attack them. Remember, God speaks to the woman and the woman says, the snake made me do it. The, the serpent uh, caused it. Uh, the snake didn't have anybody to attack, so he's still crawling around on the ground. And so that's why uh, when you feel guilty, when God confronts you, uh, you got to allow the Spirit. Because what is happening is Christ is trying to talk to her on the basis of relationship, not on religion. You know, our, our forgiveness, our, the work of the Spirit of God in us comes through relationship. So notice how Jesus answers. Uh, verse 21 to 24, it tells us that Jesus doesn't ignore the question that she has. Jesus does not shame her for asking a question. Jesus doesn't twist the truth to gain her sympathy. Jesus answers the question in a way that brings her right back to her need. That's what happens right now. Is the Spirit of God uh, is not interested in us having an argument about this belief or that belief, but he wants you to deal with your need. He wants you to care about those that you're reaching out to. He wants you to, to listen and to, to, to be very practical about your steps and your walk with him. Now, she has a, she has a second way uh, that she responds because she's feeling uh, a little uncomfortable with this whole situation. Um, second response is she says, um, let's talk later. First, religion. Second, let's talk later. Uh, you notice in, in the verse she says... Um, recognizing that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Like, whew, I can't deal with this right now, but when the Spirit of God, when, he, when the Messiah comes, then I'll, I'll finally deal with all that. What's, what's happening in this situation? You know, when it comes to forgiveness, uh, we make it a lot more complicated than it really is. Jesus shows us that it's very simple, that it's not a religious thing. It's a relationship thing. He wants to quench our thirst. No, this is not a religious question he's asking. It's a relationship question with him. 
Uh, he's encouraging her. He's reminding her. Uh, she's asking a question about worship on the mountain there. But he's saying, one of these days, we're not worshiping any, anywhere on some mountain or in Jerusalem that we're going to worship. God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. It's a, it's a wow uh, we worship him in, in spirit, but we worship him in truth. We worship him in a way that reflects his character and praise. We worship him deep within our soul, but we also listen to the truth and apply it. Genuine worship happens in your heart as well as in your awareness of the truth. So she tries to put him off. It'll be later procrastinating. I know none of you ever do that, but procrastinating, putting it off. He says, when the Christ comes, then we will deal with it. So as you get to the end of this story, you see that uh, Jesus' response, he says, I think very boldly, the one you're standing with, the one that you are listening to, I am he, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. You know, there's some people that love to say that Jesus never really said who he was. Well, I just want to tell you, if you don't see it in this verse, it's, it's other places in the Bible, but he says clearly, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah, the one that you are listening to. I'm the one that has come. He declares it so boldly uh, to her. So he's reminding her, giving her this encouragement. So now, what's the reaction going to be? What's going to happen to this, this woman? How is she going to respond? There are several reactions here. Uh, the first one is that we see it in the disciples. Because in verse 27, all of a sudden, right in the middle of having this conversation with this woman, here they are and they show up. Uh, the disciples come, um, and they show up there, and what have they done? They have, uh, they have some food. Uh, they have some food, and uh, I don't know where they went to get the food, but they are, are wondering about his conversation with this woman. Why is he talking to this woman? Uh, she's a Samaritan. You know what Jesus was interested in? Spiritual food. Living water. The transformation that could happen uh, with this woman. You know what the disciples were thinking about? Their stomachs. Uh, they're so involved in what's going on around them that they miss this moment of transformation that is happening uh, to this woman. You know, it's so easy to get wrapped up in material things in our life and forget that we are called to allow these defining moments to happen where we speak to people about the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen? We get so distracted, right? We get distracted about people. We get distracted because we get our feelings hurt about things. We get distracted with our jobs, all those things that are important to us. But there is nothing more important than knowing that Jesus Christ is the inner food of your life and how there's so many hungry people all around us. Everybody, everywhere needs Jesus. And that's the message that he has for his disciples. These disciples are distracted. Uh, and instead of talking about uh, the things that Jesus had to say to this woman, they are wondering, uh, did somebody come and give him some food while we were gone? And Jesus says to them, my food is, is different than what you're thinking about. My food is doing the will of my Father in heaven. So they're, they're thinking about getting food and getting it on the table, uh, and sometimes we're like that as well, missing uh, those opportunities. Now, what was, what was the reaction of the woman? Well, you can tell as you see this whole story, the woman believed. The woman believed that his, what he could do in her, and she goes to tell others. She goes into town. Uh, some people believe what she said. Other people are curious. And the scripture says they came out to meet Jesus Christ. And many more people believed when they heard the words of Christ. And you hear there at the end, it says, Now we not only believe because of what the woman said, her testimony, but now we know because of what you said, Jesus, that you are the Savior of the world. Praise the Lord. The woman believes and goes and tells others, and many uh, Samaritans believe. We know that he is uh, the Savior of the world. So, uh, so what's our reaction? What is your reaction to Jesus in uh, John chapter 4? Uh, first of all, I invite you to drink the living water. 
Drink his living water. Don't be so wrapped up in all the external things of your life that you forget that he is bringing about an internal transformation through his water in you. Stop trying to be healed in your own way. Stop trying to be fulfilled through your own stuff. Stop trying to be changed by things around you or relationships or expecting other people, even that closest person to you, they will never be able to fully heal you. Are they a participant? They can make your life better, but they cannot heal you internally. you got to drink from his well. you got to drink from his water. Believe in him and receive his forgiveness. Believe in Don't make it so complicated. He wants you to know that he knows everything about you already. So whatever you've been hiding, whatever you have packed away in that closet of your life that you don't want anybody to see, you don't have to tell me about it. You don't have to tell anybody about it. But Jesus already knows about it. Believe in him and be forgiven. Give him your guilt. Give him your shame. Give him your hurts. Give him those betrayals. Even the things that you've hoped for that haven't happened, give it, don't make it complicated. Even this morning in this place, wouldn't it be awesome if you walked out of here knowing that I'm forgiven, knowing that I'm changed? The last response is be the true worshipers that the Father is seeking. Did you hear that verse? It's the other memory verse. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. God is seeking for you to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth. We're going to sing a song in just a minute. I just wanted to remind you uh, how we're... Now, we picked this song because I want you to think about being a true worshiper. I want you to worship him. Uh, We had great worship in the early part of the service, and we're going to sing again. You know, worship is way beyond singing, but it's a helpful way for you to think about your heart worship. Do you love Jesus? Would you tell him that today? Would you be drawn closer to him? But, But here's the deal. The problem is that sometimes we think that the only thing that really matters is that I came to church today, and I felt something, and I worshiped him, and now I'm just going to go my way. You know, what has to happen is, what happens to you in church here, the reason that we meet together in church is so that something transforming happens in me, that my spirit, like, you're going to be inspired in just a minute. I'm telling you. No no doubt about it. You're going to be inspired. You're going to feel his presence here. The question is, what do you do about all that? If all we do is gather in this place and get a few chill bumps and then we feel good about ourselves and we like our church and we love our band and all that stuff and we sing these songs. If that's all we do, we are nothing. We're not really the church. Because see, what was really important to Jesus was the woman at the well. So, you know, our challenge is to Yes, let's worship him. I want you to be inspired. I want you to go out of here loving him more than you've ever loved him before. I want you to be energetic and and just ready to go out into the world for your week. But what are you supposed to be doing? Oh, man, the pastor preached really good this week. Or, man, the song, the sing, the songing, the things we had, it was just great. No, he wants you to recognize there's going to be a divine moment if you're paying attention this week. Um, yeah, I have time. I'm going to tell you this. Yesterday, I was, um, stuff happens to me all the time. I mean, just crazy stuff. So yesterday, I uh, was in Peoria, and I had, I had a meeting, and I left my meeting, so I had time between, between two things I had going on. I thought, I'm going to the hospital. So I was going to go to the hospital, and uh, I didn't check ahead of time. I was going to go see uh, Kim I. And so I showed up at Methodist, and I parked there, and uh, I had some water, so I was finishing that. And I looked in my, my rearview mirror, and I glanced there, and this woman is coming toward my vehicle. And I thought she looked like somebody I knew, and so I, I thought, well, I'm not totally sure if that's her or not. So I just turned away, and all of a sudden, this woman is at my window, right, right there. And I re- I, it shocked me, and then 
Uh, I knew who it was. I rolled down my window. I talked to her by name. Uh, she said, what are you doing here? <laughs> I said, well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to go visit somebody. Uh, that was my plan. And she says, uh, I said, what are you doing here? And she said, well, my brother is, uh, my brother is in the ICU. And uh, she began to tell me about the whole situation. It was, uh, so she says, uh, she says, you know, Pastor, uh, he's been asking for a couple of years to be baptized. And, you know, he's, we don't know if what's going to happen um, with him. They, they still don't. Um, and so she said, uh, would, would you baptize him sometime? And I thought, I sure would. Uh, so I'd love to talk to him. And uh, she said, okay, when do you want to do it? And so she got her calendar out. And I, was, I said, well, since, um, since we don't really know what's happening with him physically, we probably ought to do it now. Now? I said, well, I, I, I'll do it whenever you want to do it. But, you know, um, so uh, she told me where he was. And so I, I said, I'll meet you there in a little while. And so, uh, so I showed up there and uh, walked into this ICU room. Now, look, I didn't, I, I just knew this is my divine moment right here. And so I began to talk to this guy. Now, first of all, I thought, do they really want him baptized without their family here and all that kind of stuff? So I said, you know, by then, I'm thinking, hmm, I don't want to get somebody upset with me or whatever, you know, like that. So that she's on the phone, and I'm talking to him. And so I'm asking him about, about his faith, and that he says he wanted to be baptized. So tell me about uh, when you became a Christian. And he could talk, but it was, it was slow and difficult. But I listened, and he told me this testimony about when he accepted Christ and uh, the difference that Christ had made in his life. He said, but I've been sick, and I really haven't been out a whole lot, and I haven't been to church in a long, long time, and I really don't have a church, but I, I really would like to be baptized. And I said, what, would, what, what do you think that means, and what does that mean? And he started talking about his understanding of baptism, point, just right on point. And then he said, I just, I just feel like I want to have this moment of peace uh, with him. And uh, I said, okay. By that time, uh, she's come back, and she said, okay, they said fine. And, uh, and then she said, I think I'll FaceTime them. So all these people are on the camera. You know, here they are. You know, and, uh, and I'm, I'm at the bed, and uh, we just have this, this incredible moment. So I said, uh, I said okay, I'm going to read Scripture. So I read a number of different passages that talk about baptism. And then I explained to him again what baptism means and what this is about. Uh, I definitely wanted those people that were around me to be listening to what was happening in this moment. Um, then I said, let's, let's sing a song. And so uh, we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus, and I hear these people around me singing over here, and he's taking all that in. Uh, then I had this cup of water. I took that water, and I spread it all across his head there and said those words that I'll say tonight about what it means to be baptized and being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Man, what a, what a moment. I just thought, man, I was just driving up, just doing minding my own business, and God gave me this moment to have that opportunity. But I think that's what this is about, is having an awareness that what I'm really thinking about is not my food or where I'm going to eat or how I'm going to get my house fixed. or what I'm, I'm not saying none of that stuff's not important. I know our jobs, all that stuff's important. But our calling as believers is that woman at the well. That woman at your job, that man that comes into your life, those people that there are a lot of people that you're going to meet that nobody else in this room is going to have any involvement with. Everybody, everywhere needs Jesus. So as we worship here, be a true worshiper. I mean, don't be, don't be just kind of hanging out and listening to them sing. I mean, sing, praise Him. Let the Spirit of God fill you up. And then get out there and meet those people. Make a difference in their life. Let the Spirit of God use our church. That's the church. The church is not just sitting in here. The church is us out there. Let's stand up. Sing this song. You were the word of the
was great. Now get out of here and do the other part. Not just in spirit, but in truth. Go and meet the woman at the well. God bless you.